What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 855 AM. And also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. Your hosts tonight are Indra, Britt and Sue. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. You're listening to content that was pre-recorded on Sunday, the 4th of September. We start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We also acknowledge the First Nations custodians of the various lands all of us in this program tonight are joining from. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. The conditions in Australian prisons and youth detention centres have been the subject of significant criticism for many years. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and young people are particularly vulnerable in custody and human rights advocates have been calling for reform for decades. A small step was taken back in 2017 when Australia ratified the United Nations optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, which is otherwise known as OPCAT. OPCAT requires member states to set up oversight bodies to monitor all places where people are kept in detention. The idea behind OPCAT is that independent national and international bodies will regularly visit and monitor prisons and other places where people are deprived of liberty. Now, it's hoped that this will increase accountability and assist in preventing torture, cruel and inhumane treatment in those facilities. But unfortunately, since 2017, Australia hasn't made huge progress on implementing the OPCAT. The first deadline for implementation in Australia was earlier this year, and that date has come and gone. Australia was granted an extension to early next year, but it's unclear whether that deadline will be met. In October this year, UN representatives are coming to Australia to conduct their first inspections of detention and prison facilities, including facilities in Victoria. The Andrews government has now drafted the legislation needed to facilitate that visit, but some advocates are concerned about the drafting of that legislation and whether it will allow the UN representatives to do their jobs properly. To shed some light on these issues, we're joined tonight by Andrea Lux, who's the Head of Policy, Communications and Strategy from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, or VALS for short. And Andrea completed her Churchill Fellowship on culturally appropriate implementation of the OPCAT. And we're also joined by Monique Hurley, who's the managing lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre. Andrea and Monique, welcome to Done by Lawyer. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us today to talk about this very important uh, treaty. Okay, so um, firstly, can you just summarise simply 
what the OPCAT requires of governments and what's been done in Victoria so far to implement it. And we know that Victoria has been really slow. So what do you both think? Um, why do you, sorry, why do you, you both think that Victoria has been so slow to implement it? So starting by summarising um, what the OPCAT is and what it requires, preventing torture behind bars is one of Australia's foundational human rights obligations, um, yet people in prisons across the country are regularly exposed to cruel and degrading treatment. Um, OPCAT, as Britt said, is the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture, and it's a UN treaty that requires governments to do two main things once they sign up. The first is to establish independent monitoring and oversight of all places of detention, and that includes prisons and youth prisons. Um, and then the other thing is to allow um, international inspections to take place, um, which are performed by the UN Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture, which is called the SPT, and they're due to visit um, Australia later in the year in October. Um, and the idea behind OPCAT compliant inspections is that they will shine a light on cruel and degrading practices in prisons. And so we're talking about things like solitary confinement, routine strip searching and excessive use of force to help prevent those human rights abuses um, continuing to occur. And so despite the Australian government ratifying the treaty back in 2017, um, the Andrews government has done alarmingly little to um, establish and resource independent monitoring and oversight of prisons in Victoria. Um, the Andrews government have attributed that to this um, issue with the federal government and there being no funding or very little funding allocated at a federal level to helping states um, implement their obligations required by the treaty. And so Implementing um, independent oversight of prisons is a shared federal and state government responsibility. And so the funding and the resourcing for those um, mechanisms should, should be shared. But um, the previous federal government showed very little um, leadership on this issue. And we're hoping that um, the recently elected Albanese government um, is interested in showing a lot more leadership on OPCAT implementation across the country and that um, they will really step up to the plate and help resolve um, the issue around how to resource proper and appropriate oversight of prisons. Okay. Can I ask a quick question in there? Does, does um, this convention also cover moving children into adult prisons? So the, and um, Andrea knows a lot more about OPCAT than I, so Andrea, <laughs> jump in if I um, get this wrong. But um, so OPCAT covers all places of detention and so it has a very broad scope and so it covers, um, it covers prisons, it cover, covers youth prisons, it also covers um, like immigration detention facilities and right. all kinds of closed environments. Um, and so, yes, it... it it definitely covers um, the circumstances in which children are being transferred to adult um, prisons. And that's something that we're keen for the um, SPT to look at and to make recommendations about when they visit Australia later in the year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, what impact would proper 
implementation of OPCAP actually have in Victoria and how would it improve prison or detention facilities, do you both think? Thanks, Britt. I might jump in first on this one. Um, I think the way you worded the question is also really important. It's about proper implementation. There's a real risk if there's not a genuine commitment um, that if there's not a genuine commitment to properly resource and, and support the implementation, things will just continue business as usual and we'll just be able to say OPCAT's been implemented, but that wouldn't actually be the case. So what the, there would be a few things that would need to happen. We've talked quite a bit about resourcing already, but um, it's really important that neither the federal or state government try to limit the scope or the mandate of the detention oversight bodies domestically. Um, really troubling to see that um, the former federal government tried to restrict uh, the detention oversight bodies um, to not visit places of detention where people are detained for less than 24 hours. So that could potentially exclude certain police custody. And the research shows internationally that the risk of torture is actually higher in police cells than in prisons, although often the focus is on prisons. So I think that's a really good example of what not to do. Um, it's limiting the, the UN treaty um, in a really problematic way haven't heard that kind of repeated with, with the current government and, and hopefully they, they won't go down that path. And I think the other really important thing is to enable the detention oversight body to make decisions about how it wants to use its resources. Um, unfortunately, people are deprived of their liberty across multiple places um, of detention in Victoria and Australia. And so, the detention oversight body, the MPM needs to have the freedom to decide which places it's going to prioritise based on where the risks are highest for um, torture and other forms of ill treatment. Um, what we would want to see is a really strong legislative framework underpinning uh, OPCAT implementation. So making it very clear to everyone, people who are deprived of their liberty, detaining authorities at the detention sites, governments, everyone is really clear around what the powers and privileges of the detention oversight body are. Um, and having those outlined in legislation is going to be particularly key in jurisdictions like Victoria that don't have sort of existing inspector of custodial service type bodies. So it's going to be a new way of doing things. And so getting those detention sites ready for that would be really supported by having a strong legislative framework. Um, I suspect we'll probably talk about this a little bit later in, in our conversation today, but also ensuring that detention oversight is done in a culturally appropriate manner for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but also focusing on um, particular vulnerabilities or, or groups that might need um, a different approach to deten detention oversights and what sort of recommendations um, would be needed to improve their treatment in detention. Um, everyone has 
slightly different experiences of detention. So if we're going to talk about LGBTQIA plus communities, um, people with disability, um, children and young people, very unique um, and different needs. Um, so just making sure that it's very much focused on the, the population that's being detained and that there's not like a one size fits all sort of approach, which, which means that perhaps those who are most vulnerable and at risk will fall through the cracks. Um, and I guess in terms of some of the things that, that could be improved with regular unannounced detention visits is um, that opportunity to prevent torture and ill treatment before it happens. A lot of the oversight or accountability mechanisms we have are retrospective. So whether that's, you know, a coronial inquest into a death in custody, whether it's um, a complaints you know, body, um, civil litigation, all of these things happen after the harm has been done. And really we want to prevent the harm from ever happening in the first place. And that's what those unannounced visits would really be able to, um, to address. And I might pass over to, to Monique. I know we've, we've talked a lot um, over the last few years around some of our key areas of concern, um, including solitary confinement and the fact that we don't have equivalency of healthcare in in places of detention. Yes, and so in terms of preventing the harms that um, people are subjected to in prison, um, solitary confinement and its ongoing and excessive use in prisons across Victoria is something that's really alarming. Um, there's been a lot of work done by the Ombudsman um, in Victoria previously shining a light on um, particularly the use of solitary confinement on children in Victorian prisons and on um, women detained at the Dame Phyllis Frost prison. Um, and I think that the COVID pandemic has just really um, emphasised the, the need for um, more robust um, and ongoing independent oversight of prisons. Um, you know, instead of um, VALS and the Human Rights Law Centre were calling on the Andrews government and still call on the Andrews government to reduce the number of people in prisons as part of the public health response to the ongoing COVID pandemic. Um, with people in prisons increasingly um, and continuing to be subject to things like arbitrary quarantine um, on reception to prison and um, lockdowns that are being caused, um, or the corrections, are, the corrections say are being caused by staff shortages. Um, and that means that people are being detained in, um, in circumstances that can amount to solitary confinement. Um, and, you know, there's just really well-documented and extensive evidence about the irreparable harm that can be caused by subjecting people to that kind of confinement. Um, and so that's an example of something that is, um, that's happening now and that uh, an OPCAT compliance system of oversight would be able to report on and make recommendations about to hopefully have, um, you know, encourage the government to reevaluate its corrections policies in relation to those um, issues. Um, and as Andrea flagged the equivalency of healthcare, I might get, I might throw back to Andrea to expand a bit on, um, the importance of addressing equivalency of healthcare. Might just, um, break in there and, oh. um, we need to have a quick break and we'll talk about the, the importance of that equivalency of healthcare after our break. 
So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for some community announcements and we'll be back soon to continue the conversation. Mohammed El Halabi has been held in an Israeli prison for almost six years, with still no verdict on the charges of diverting millions of dollars of World Vision and Australian aid money to terrorism, despite both the Australian government and World Vision finding no evidence of misused funds. For Palestinians, the Israeli justice system means closed courts, secret evidence, torture, and long delays. Join Amnesty, the Australian-Palestine Advocacy Network, and Free Palestine Melbourne in a vigil to mark Mohammed's birthday and call for his release. The vigil will be held at 2 p.m. on Saturday, the 2nd of April at Federation Square. Stand up for justice for Mohammed El Halabi and for Palestine. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CAR 855am and streamed at 3cr.org.au. We are chatting with Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre and Andrea Lux from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Our topic tonight is the OPCAT and before the break, we were just discussing why implementing the OPCAT is so important. And um, Andrea, would you be able to um, go into a little bit of what we were discussing just before the the break there? Thanks, Indra. Um, Yes, so we were just talking about some of the the key sort of human rights abuses and concerns in Victoria's um, prison system at the moment. And one of those issues is that despite international law requiring this, um, at the moment, across the entire Victorian prison system, we're seeing that there is not equivalent healthcare being provided to that which is available in the community. And so what that means is there's people who um, already have um, sort of higher rates of of ill health, whether that's physical ill health or or mental ill health, um, not being provided with uh, that kind of fundamental right to, to healthcare. And this can have short-term impacts on people, but also lifelong impacts once people are released from prison. But in the most tragic of circumstances, we see people dying in custody. And that's been a particular concern at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, Some of the hardest work that we do, but some of the most important work that we do is representing family members of people who have died in custody. And there's been a pattern across all of Australia, in fact, um, for Aboriginal people in custody who die in custody are provided um, inferior healthcare at a higher rate than non-Aboriginal people. And so we're really talking about, you know, stopping people from dying in custody. We're talking about alleviating pain and suffering and also preventing that sort of long-term health and mental health impacts of of imprisonment. Um, And so if we had a detention oversight body doing this work already in Victoria, in an ideal scenario, what we we would have is a multidisciplinary team, which includes detention doctors, includes, um, sorry about that, includes um, 
people with psychology backgrounds, etc. So they could go in and have a look at what sort of healthcare is being provided to individuals, but also more broadly across the system and make really clear expert recommendations on how to improve um, the quality of care for those people who are incarcerated. I just jump in there, Andrea, sorry, Sue. So, have there been any consultations with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities to ensure that any implementation of OPCAT is culturally appropriate and safe? Um, the short answer to that is no, um, which is really disappointing. Um, here we are many years later without any progress around consultation. We don't have any sort of sense whether there will be consultation or what form that would be in. Um, and so it's a real missed opportunity. Uh, in Victoria, we've obviously got the Aboriginal Legal Service, but we also have other um, mechanisms which should make it relatively easy for the government to do direct um, targeted consultations, for example, with the Aboriginal Justice Caucus or um, the Aboriginal Executive Council. Um, there's Aboriginal community controlled health organisations all across the state. And so there's all this knowledge around what is needed to keep people well and safe in custody. Um, and failing to, to do those consultations means that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are just going to be left behind in this reform. We haven't got much time left. We might now, I think, turn to the upcoming UN visit. And the Andrews government, we know, has drafted some legislation to sort of facilitate that. Are there any issues that both of you see with the way that that legislation has been drafted? Generally, the, the legislation um, was quite good, but had some pretty significant shortcomings. Um, one of them being having like a, a prescriptive list of what a place, what constitutes a place of detention. Um, as I sort of mentioned earlier in this conversation, it's not for the government to decide what is a place of detention and new types of places of detention come up all the time. Um, also was disappointed to see that while the OCAT does allow um, a government to temporarily uh, not allow the UN SBT into a place of detention, that decision should really just be sitting at ministerial level. And in the current legislation, also the detentions at the detention site, uh, the detaining authorities are going to be able to stop the UN from going in to the prison. So that's mm -hmm. um, a really big issue. Um, and then there were some other issues around the need to you know strengthen the provisions around privacy for people who engage with the SBT people particularly those who are detained and also we would have liked to have seen stronger protections against um, reprisals um, we definitely don't want to see anyone who is courageous enough in this really difficult scenario where the power imbalance is massive and is coming to the UN and telling their story we want to make sure that there's no negative outcomes for them so um, there's some of the main things. And I think the other thing that's really important is the legislation should have really clarified um, that the UN should have access to all records, including medical records. And 
records that are also held not directly by the government or government departments, but also by the private contractors, because we unfortunately have privately run prisons in Victoria and we have um, a whole lot of subcontractors um, providing healthcare in prisons as well. So there, there were some pretty significant shortcomings in the bill, but we do welcome um, the government taking some steps to supporting the UN's visit. So unfortunately, we're really close to running out of time. I do just want to ask one last question. Um, are there any other countries, I guess, globally where you've seen the OPCAT fully implemented? And what are some things that I guess we can learn from them going forward? Just very quickly, sorry. Other countries are further along in their OPCAT implementation journey. Um, and across different countries, their compliance varies. Um, and so I think we can definitely learn from other countries, things that have worked and things that have not worked, but I would always caution to not do uh, just like, take what's working in Scotland say, and assume it's going to work in Victoria or the Northern Territory. We really need to have bespoke uh, sort of approaches to the populations um, in prisons and other places of detention in Australia. Thank you so much for that. Um, and thank you to both of you for joining us today. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. It always goes far too quickly. Um, so that was Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre and Andrea Lux from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Thank you to both of you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. And thanks Thank to you. Sorry. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Done by Law on 3CR 855 AM, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. Done by Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for the voices of West Papua. I wanna drop food, not bombs. Hot trains, bottles, giving every info shop. I wanna give free therapy out in the park. Go to free school, just not practice. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Food Not Bombs.